So if you work with clients, there's a question that probably comes up pretty regularly for you. And that is, how much do I charge for the work that I provide? We're going to talk about this and more on The Rightly Show. It's the program that helps you start and grow a brand-centric online business through the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas McGee and this is The Rightly Show. So today we're going to be talking about a topic that is uh, pretty relevant to pretty much anybody who charges for work. It's something that we always wrestle with. And it's not even necessarily if you are a freelancer. It can also apply if you are some sort, uh, if you're running some sort of shop and you sell products. And that question mark is pricing. It's extremely difficult to nail down because there's so many different factors. And when it comes to working with clients in particular, this can be a huge sticking point with the clients that you're trying to get. It's one of those things that we have to balance between knowing uh, how much can I charge for this and how much is somebody willing to pay. So we're going to be talking all about uh, pricing today, uh, talking a little bit about uh, charging for products as well as working with clients. But before that, what I wanted to tell you a little about was the importance that I always uh, underscore and highlight in pretty much every video or podcast that I create is the importance of growing an email list. So recently, uh, something that the folks over at ConvertKit created uh, was a really uh, amazing and intuitive and beautiful landing page builder. So here's why this is relevant to you. So even if you don't have a website, even if you haven't gotten started yet, the nice thing is all you need to get started is a squeeze page, an email list provider, and something of value to offer to the people who sign up onto that list, commonly known as an opt-in. Well, uh, it used to be that you had to sign up for some expensive third-party software like lead pages or something similar. We're going to be paying 30 or 50 or even $100 a month just to be able to create one simple standalone squeeze, squeeze page. So with uh, the new feature that has just been built into ConvertKit, you can now set up one of these squeeze pages really easily. It's beautiful. It can fit your brand. And you could start building your email list right away. Uh, so what I do have for you as a listener to The Rightly Show is a 30-day free trial to ConvertKit. So if you would like to sign up and try it out, again, it's totally free for 30 days. You can just head on over to rightly.show slash ConvertKit. Again, that's rightly.show slash ConvertKit to sign up for a 30-day free trial. Have a question for the program? Call 844-RIGHTLY to record your question, and we would be happy to consider featuring it in a future episode. That's 844-744-4859 or 844-RIGHTLY. If you would rather write in, feel free to email show at rightlydesigned.com. Okay, so the main topic we're going to be talking about today is selling the process and not the product. And so more particularly, what that is going to relate to is the process of picking our pricing. Particularly if you work with clients, at the end of the day, you're going to be charging for something, whether it's your hours or whether it's the deliverable, maybe a combination of the two. 
But what I like to do and something I've started to work into my process is just that, charging for the process and not for the end product that gets delivered. But before I kind of delve into that, uh, Casey's with us here today, as always, Casey from CaseyProctor.com. I know, Casey, you work with a lot of clients as well. So first thing I wanted to do is kind of kick it off with getting your thoughts and some of your experiences with working with clients and kind of some of the things that you've experimented with in terms of pricing. Um, pricing is a really interesting topic for me because it's actually something that I have uh, found the most one of the most challenging parts of doing client-based work. So I'm a freelancer and I work in digital marketing and project management and the clients who I work with are in varying fields. And so there's, there's a couple different philosophies or methodologies when it comes to pricing. And one of those is productizing your business. So you basically assess the value of the work that you do and the value and the solution, the resolution that it delivers to a client. And like part of that is an output. So a complete email, you know, onboarding funnel that includes, you know, a landing page, the confirmation page, the confirmation email, and like a five email sequence that then like links potentially links to some type of like upsell or products like that as a entire deliverable, you could or I could put a price tag on that. And then anyone can just walk in and buy that just like no, you know, regardless of how big or small their platform is just like anyone can walk you know walk into a mcdonald's or a starbucks and order you know, let's say a starbucks and order a grande caramel macchiato regardless of who they are they're going to pay the same price now there's benefits to that as the provider because you have these systems and processes in place and the onus is on you to be as efficient as possible Alternatively, another option is to have custom pricing for all of your customers because very, you know, especially in the digital space, there are actually a few who want know exactly what they want, two, know what they actually need, and then three, truly are able to like purchase a like specific product. Like, you know, they might they might want 10 emails or only two emails, or they might want three sequences instead of just one. And so there's a lot of nuance in freelance and in the gig economy where, you know, there's kind of this push and pull in both directions. Thomas, how do you handle that, that tension? Yeah, no, you brought up a lot of really good points in there in terms of some of the challenges and the things that we have to consider and toss back and forth. Uh, before I kind of get on to, to that, piece of it though, particularly the tension part of it, I wanted to tell a quick story that I've heard in the past and I am almost certainly going to get this story wrong, but it'll kind of illustrate the main point that we're going to be diving into. So the the story goes something like this. There was a really uh, large ship that had a very particular type of, I don't know, was a uh, particular type of engine that actually powered the ship. So it's massive very complicated, difficult to fix engine. There was something wrong with it. So this person who was kind of the ch in charge of getting this, this whole thing, like the lead mechanic, couldn't fix it, hired one person who came in, couldn't fix it, hired a second person, came in, couldn't fix it, each person charging more than the last, 
couldn't fix it. So they had four or five people come in. Finally, they found one person who's been doing this for over 50 years, been working on a wide variety of different ships, came in, uh, found one little piece, and within uh, under a minute, with one small part, was able to fix the particular ship and walked out. So later, you know, of course, the person who was in charge of the ship was so thankful. Thank you so much for fixing this. You have no idea how big of a an impact this has made. Uh, and so then what happened was at the end of the day, he received the invoice from this particular mechanic who came and fixed it. Again, all he did was just twist the small piece, the small part, fix the ship. It was in there for less than a minute. But the invoice was for $10,000. And so the individual was like, well, how come you're charging me $10,000? All you did was just, you know, twist the screw here, this one particular piece, which cost you almost nothing. He said, well... I charged you $10,000, uh, you know, and of course the, the story goes, it breaks it down. I want an itemized, you know, line item. I want line by line why you're charging me this much. And so it was like 50 cents or it was like $1 uh, for the for the screw. And the rest was for the 50 years of time and experience that he had to accrue over a lifetime to know exactly where to look and to fix that particular piece of the ship. So again, I'm kind of butchering the story. I'm sure I've got it wrong. But the point that I'm illustrating here is that pricing isn't just what you ch- what you deliver. It's not even necessarily just your, your, your time. And so one of the things I wanted to kind of kick around a little bit on this show was that concept, was if you're a freelancer to really sit down and to consider what is it that you're charging for and how valuable is it? I think one of the biggest mistakes, and I made this mistake too when I first started with the process of freelancing, was that I wanted to be competitive at a price level. level. And what that always creates is what Seth Godin and many others like to refer to is a race to the bottom. Because the problem with pricing is that somebody will always be cheaper. If you're going to open up a shop downtown in, in in your small town or your home area, and your goal is to be the cheapest, you will lose to Walmart every single time. The same applies to a freelancer. There's going to be somebody else out there who's always willing to do it cheaper. So what you have to ask is, what is it about my process? What is it about my interpersonal skills? What what is it about the way that I do my work that is A, different, B, more valuable, and C, worth charging more for? So that's kind of the concept I wanted to toss around a little bit. And like you mentioned earlier, Casey, that what that creates for us and for uh, between us and our potential customers is a little bit of a tension, is a little bit of tension that we have to sort out, which is okay. Uh, First thing we have to do is to determine what is it that we're charging for and what makes it more valuable. So what are kind of your, what are your thoughts on on that and that approach to, to charging? I think you touched on something really important in terms of that expertise and experience that you're bringing to the table. And it's not just the deliverable itself. It's not just the, you know, email sequence or the WordPress theme or the copywriting or the house or, you know, the landscaping, um, you know, whatever product you're actually delivering, like the value there is value in the process, in your experience. Um, and, 
in what you're bringing to the table. I've heard different versions of that story you told, and it's you know it's uh, this the the screw or the bolts that gets adjusted. That's not what costs ten thousand dollars. It costs ten thousand dollars because to know what the right screw is to right. um, and to have that. And so um, there's. It's, it, there's this interesting, uh, interesting conundrum or, or not necessarily conflict, but contrary thinking at times when you are providing a service or, uh, or a process and when you are seeking a process, because typically when you are in, you know, and it's super important to put yourself and we've talked about this before in the mindset of your customer, of your target audience, of your target client. And, um, if that if you haven't put yourself in their mindset because they're coming to it from you know i have a hole in my ceiling from the toilet upstairs leaking through i need that fixed and i don't in the moment especially i don't care how long someone has been a plumber i want water to stop hemorrhaging from my second floor um and that's a very real world example <laughs> um that i'm providing um and so it's important as the provider to really like you, it, it comes down so much to the idea of empathy because, you know, if someone showed up to my house and there was no empathy or care, like, Oh my goodness, we'll get someone out there right away. And they come in and they like, they stop it and take care of it. And then we can have the conversation about the work that needs to be done, the quality of the work involved, the quality of the materials, how long, you know, why it happened in the first place and all of that stuff. Like that is an ancillary conversation to like solving my most immediate problem. Um, Thomas, in your, that brings something up that I thought about is how do you, how do you approach working with clients who have a very strong sense of urgency, how do you, how do you approach those situations? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. Now, one of the fortunate things in terms of my line of work, which lends itself largely to building out WordPress websites, that's probably the core of what I do. It is some brand identity design, but most of the people who I work with don't necessarily have an emergency that they're dealing with. Uh, so there is a little bit of a luxury inherent with the type of clients I typically work with that aren't, uh, they don't necessarily have water hemorrhaging out of a pipe. You know, that's, they're not in that particular type of situation. Whereas somebody in other lines of work would have something, would, would have an emergency uh, kind of, or an urgency inherent within that particular trade. One of the things that I have encountered, however, and this is, I don't encounter this quite as much anymore because I've been very intentional with positioning rightly in company as, I mean, our, our brand essence is timeless tailored brands. So it, at its very core, it has kind of a timeless, almost old fashioned craftsmanship approach to creating websites. And people inherently know that that just takes longer than buying something off the shelf. It's, it's the contrast between renting an apartment and having a house built for you. We all know that one's going to take significantly longer than the other, but one's going to be significantly better than the other. Now, one of the challenges that I, I used to run into a lot more, however, when that d distinction wasn't quite as clear in the brand or just in the work that I did, um, it was one of those things where I'd have a lot of people who just kind of have this, and it's through no fault of their own. It, a lot of it comes down to society and culture and 
things like Amazon is, again, this very next day shipping approach to the process of creating a website. And particularly in the realm of doing something that you're building from scratch, that isn't realistic. It's not like having somebody pluck something off of a shelf and have it shipped and arriving to your door the next day. It's not something that's already made. Like, for example, over at Notable Themes, we build and create and sell pre-built WordPress themes for particular niches and audiences. You can go to NotableThemes.com, buy a theme, and have it instantly. If you were to go to Rightling Company of something custom built, that's going to be a process. That's going to take significantly longer. That's not something that's being plucked off of the shelf. That's a person actually sitting down with you, taking the time to understand your brand, your business, the goals you're trying to achieve through your website, and crafting something that helps you achieve those particular goals. So I think that's one of the things that we as you know, content creators and as freelancers need to sit down and consider, first of all, is what is what is the actual process? What is the way in which we're going to be delivering our products and our services? And I think a lot of that's going to de- dictate and determine how we come up with our pricing. But one of the other things that, that you mentioned as well, if kind of to circle back around in terms of the urgency uh, and the importance to be empathetic to the, the situation that that person is in. I am 100% on board with that concept. In, uh, and I'm also 100% on board with favoring a more expensive product or service that you offer. And so a lot of times, one of the, the things that people, uh, why people shy away from that is, well, if I charge more, if I offer a higher level product or service, what that means is that I'm going to exclude people. And that's true. And that seems at first to be counterintuitive. That seems to be against the notion or concept of being empathetic. But the way that you can help solve that problem, and I I know we've touched on this in the past before, is to distinguish and delineate between the things that you do for free and the things that you charge for. So again, this is where you're going to want to create something like a blog or a podcast or a video series or something that uh, infers your expertise to people who need it absolutely free, while at the same time charging for those things that you do specifically that either A, require your time, or they're just a higher level of investment required from both parties. At that point, you can charge. So it's being as useful as possible to the widest number of people possible while being specific to the type of audience that you want to reach. So I know there's kind of a lot packed in there. Uh, but that's that's kind of my thoughts in terms of empathy and kind of tying it all together into your pricing. Absolutely. Um, another thing I think it would be important for us to to cover or discuss is what is the relationship or how do you, Thomas, view the relationship of price and value? Yeah, so this is a really great question. So there's, there's a lot of different ways to tackle this. But the first thing that you need to determine, like like the first thing I've I've seen a lot of new freelancers uh, tackle in terms of their pricing. And I've seen websites that help you calculate this is, okay, I want to be a freelancer. How much do I need to make in order to survive as a freelancer? Now, this is important to do because if you want to be a freelancer, it's important to know how much you can charge in order to, you know, how much you're going to need to make in order to make that work. However, that does not mean that you're going to deliver that much value to somebody up front. So I wish I could just provide a formula up front that says charge this much, charge XYZ for this. 
But really, at the end of the day, it you have to, if you haven't begun charging yet, you have to start charging somewhere. So here's, I wish, again, I wish I could give you a formula, but here's what I can give you just from experience of working with clients. Obviously, as I've touched on earlier, you don't want to make price the focus. You don't want to try to be the cheapest. If you can find what other freelancers are charging by the hour, uh, if you can find out what other freelancers that are generally in your market are charging uh, are charging for the project as a whole, depending on how you charge, either by the hour or by the project. Find that. See where your work stacks up against that. See where your process stacks up against that. Uh, so a lot of this is just collecting information. And then once you uh, start to work within actually creating your first proposal, your first quote, what I would say is charge a little bit more than you're comfortable with. So if you've got a price and you say, I think it's worth about this much. Okay, that's great. Tack about 10 or 15% onto that. And then you're good. If it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, you're probably good. Now, I know this is going to sound really tough for people who are just getting started and you really need that first client. There's going to there's gonna be situations, especially when you're first starting out, that you're going to have to compromise. And I totally understand that. Uh, that's just the reality of starting out in some sort of freelancing gig or something like that. But if you currently have uh, charged, you know, if you're if you're consistently charging an area where you're comfortable, that's one telltale sign. Another is if you're starting to get clients and they're consistently uh, they're consistently every single time signing up with you without questioning the price, then you are too cheap. Like I consistently have people who uh, who fill out our, you know, our contact form or come to us and, you know, I not quite as much as we used to just because it's pretty clear the type of work that we do, but we, we do have people come through who say you're too expensive. And to me, that is, uh, that's a validation, that's a validating point that I'm, my price is where it needs to be because I'm still getting clients, but I'm still getting people saying you're too expensive. So again, that's a lot of different things to weigh. And again, I wish I could just, if I did, I would sell, you know, I would, I would sell it and be a millionaire. And if I had the formula, I don't, those are just some of the guiding points, the, uh, the rules of thumb I can give in terms of the, of determining value and price when it comes to working with new clients. I want to highlight a couple things you said there too, in particular. One is if no one is arguing about your price, then you're too cheap um, because you're leaving money on the table. But on the same token, if no one is buying at your price, then you are priced too high. Yes. Yep. There's that There's that clarif- er, quantifier there of having customers. And I feel like that um, there's a correlation to that. You and I both have clients who are in the publishing industry. And you know, we've talked before about the concept of if you try to write a book for everyone, no one will read it. Well, if you try to, you know, there's a, a correlation there in pricing because if you if you go too niche for your like book topic or genre or storyline, if you go too niche, then you're not reaching anyone. But if you go too broad and try to reach everyone, you're still reaching nobody. And so the correlation to the pricing is, is if you try to compete on price, there will always be somebody cheaper. Always. However, if you price too high, you can price yourself out of work um, 
because there's not a match between the market value, like there's not a match between the value you're delivering and what will the market will bear for that particular service um, or process. And I think I really like that you highlighted like what, if you're comfortable, you need to increase your prices. Um, and what that kind of introduces to me or what makes me want to ask you is how do you handle like price negotiations? So like if you, um, like if you, for example, if you go into Starbucks and order a caramel macchiato, which happens to be my favorite beverage, like there's no haggling, like that's the price, like that's what's listed on the menu board. And that's the price. There's no, there's no haggling. And if you have a productized service where if I land on your website and I purchase a email sequence, that's, you know, 10 emails long and it's, it's let's say $1,500, like that's, that's that. And I just, I place my order and then there's some type of client on take, you know, intake mechanism, onboarding process, and it's done. But if there's, you know, custom pricing and, a, a more personal, like back and forth relationship. How do you handle price negotiations? Yeah, no, it's all oh, this is a great question. I know there's going to be so many different freelancers and professionals out there who have to deal with this, particularly if you are, yes, if you're dealing with something that's like that has to be custom quoted, that has to be custom tailored. Uh, you're going to run into this, especially if you're charging at the higher end of what people in your market typically charge. So uh, when I first started out uh, taking on freelance projects, uh, I would haggle. Uh, I would be part of it had to do with I didn't know any better. Part of it had to do with I really needed my first project. So uh, I would, you know, kind of negotiate on price. In fact, when I look back at some of my initial, what I charged for some of my initial projects, I kind of cringe. It's like, oh my goodness, how did you get away with that? Um, in terms of just not charging enough. Um, but one of the things that, uh, that I've started to learn over the course of however many years I've been working pr with particular clients is that uh, it actually, you the clients in my experience who would not, who wanted, not necessarily wanted to haggle because I still have clients who I work with to this day uh, and am working with and I love to work with uh, who have asked me about the price. But today and, and, you know, the last several years and more recently in doing, you know, more freelance type work, if somebody asks me to change the price or go down, the answer for me is very nice, but it's no, it's always no. It is a 100% chance that I will say no, even if it is something that it is custom tailored. So why is that valuable? A lot of, a lot of like every, when the first time I started doing that, I had some difficulty with that and that I wanted to bend or I wanted to really wanted to do whatever I needed to do in order to get this client. But I found very early on is that the, the type of clients I got who I conceded the price with ended up being the most difficult to work with. Uh, they ended up being people who just didn't align with the vision of Rightly and Company when it came to creating websites. Very intricate and in-depth in the way that we do our work. We're very much uh, attention to detail, very creative, want these things to be done right. And some of these things take longer. A lot of the, you know, the few clients that I had that were kind of haggle by price, uh, I want this done yesterday type mentality, 
actually wanted something fast and cheap. And that goes completely contrary to the type of sites we create. It's kind of like going to a five-star restaurant, you know, a five-star restaurant and asking for chicken McNuggets, right? It's like that type of mentality. You can do it. You'll just charge a lot. You'll just be charged a lot extra for it. And you won't actually end up with as good a meal as you could have had. Same type of concept applies. But one of the things that I've found is by not haggling, by when, you know, I send a proposal over and they say, well, you know, these people are cheaper over here or would you come down over here? I just say no. Well, the next logical question, there's two different routes that somebody then can take at this point. A, they walk away, which is okay. I'm like, at this point, I'm totally fine with that. That used to be a lot more difficult than it used to be. Uh, I just simply say, if we're not a good fit, no worries at all. Uh, no hard feelings. We can still be friends, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, I, they either say no or the next logical question is, okay, demonstrate for me why you charge more. And for me, that's fun, right? Because I'll put together a video tutorial that shows, you know, all the intricate features that will work into a site. And I'll just actually start building a relationship, a client relationship with that person. By the end of the day, the thought of price just completely gets forgotten. It becomes an afterthought and we get to start focusing upon creating good work. And that's the point of any good freelancer. And that's kind of way you can do that. But it starts with that very first difficult step of somebody coming to you and saying, I want you to be cheaper. I want you to change your work. I want you to change the way you do things and you just being comfortable with saying no. I love the idea of being firm and confident because in saying in saying no, you are a step like you're reaffirming your value to yourself and to that other person because there's it especially when there's custom pricing there can be a sense that, you know, the opportunity to negotiate is always on the table, but that that assumption is in place, both parties are coming to the proverbial negotiation table thinking that, you know, the person, you know, paying is, you know, going to try and start at a lower end of the range. And the person who's delivering the service and, you know, charging for that is going to like overinflate their value with the idea that they'll go back and forth and meet somewhere in the middle where the, you know, the value of what you are paying for and the value of what you are delivering kind of meet, you know, ideally meet up. And by saying no, what you're doing is you actually have more integrity as the service provider in that scenario because you're saying, no, this is like, I'm not overinflating my, my pricing or my value to you. Like this is the value of what I will deliver. Um, and like to, to me that there may be an initial sense of, frustration or possibly even annoyance on the side of the prospective client. But at the same time, you're communicating your integrity and character to them so that they know of like, oh, like this, this person understands their value and I can trust them to be consistent. Um, and that, I think carries that conversation forward. Um, yeah, Thomas, I just wanted to, I just want to make a really quick, just underscore something you said there, which I think you brought up a really good point, which was kind of in the back of my mind. Uh, when I first started this process, but one of the things you touched on was that it's it establishes some trust in like your character even as a professional. In that, like, like let's play a scenario. Let's say that somebody comes along to you and they say, let's say you charge for whatever service you're doing, you charge thousand dollars, and then somebody comes along and they says, that's ah, too expensive. Will you do it for seven hundred? If you say yes, 
to that. Immediately you lose all credibility because what that means is that, okay, so you were going to charge me $1,000 for something that was only worth $700. What does that make you in terms as a professional? But if you say no, what you're establishing to that person is that, okay, you're really worth $1,000. And I think that that was an important point that you made there in the sense that I cannot go into Walmart and say that, you know, uh, this toothpaste is too expensive. I'm only going to pay a dollar for it. Like you can't do that. And we as professionals should kind of approach our work the same way. That brings up another, another point. And how does, how does pricing, how does premium pricing communicate and validate the value? Yeah, actually that's a, that's a really good, great, great point as well. Well, it does inherently because uh, it attracts a certain type of clientele. And this applies regardless of the type of um, type of market that you're in. Like for example, uh, when like when the price is the issue, inherently we we come across with the impression that the quality is going to be inherently low. Like for example, when's the last time? I don't know if you've ever been like I don't frequent them, but like in a Ferrari or Lamborghini or BMW shop. When's the last time you saw the price plastered on the windshield? Oh, that's probably never. Go- that's, yeah, that's probably going to be never. However, we drive by used car lots all the time that have the price plastered on the outside. Like there's something inherent in human nature and even in society that we see and know that something is inherently valued, valuable if the pricing isn't actually a part of the selling point. Somebody who's going out to buy a BMW they don't care what the price is. They know they're going to be able to afford it. They are interested in the car for whatever reason they want the car. So the same thing applies to our services as well. And one of the things that that is kind of inherent in that is that actually having a higher price tag on something can actually attract a specific type of clientele. Like if specifically if you're working in the B2B environment and you happen to be attracting clients who are department heads in big companies, right? For them, it's not like working with an independent or working with somebody who's just getting started. With that type of client, they don't care how much it costs. Uh, All they care is, what am I going to tell my boss? They're going to say, okay, uh, how easy is this going to make? Because they're not spending their own money. They're spending somebody else's money. At that point, a high price tag for somebody in a B2B environment is going to infer to them immediately Hey, this person's just going to get this job done and they're going to make my life easier, uh, you know, to do my particular work. So part of this has to do with charging the value of what you need to charge. And part of it is targeting the right people. If you work in a, in a space where B2B is possible or you're working with clients who aren't worried about the pricing, particularly because it's somebody else's, you know, it's the company's money or whatever it is, uh, you can actually use that as a as a kind of a point for you as a, a freelancer to do your work and do better work and get better clients at the same time. Um, so yeah, that's, those are kind of some of the main points that I'd, I'd stick with there. I like that. It, um, you mentioned earlier, if you go into a five-star restaurant and ask for chicken nuggets, like they're going to look at you really weird. And so this is the same type of thing where the clients that you're working with, whether they're at large companies and they're department heads, or if they're you know successful entrepreneurs in their own right or authors or whatever, um, you know your your existing clients 
attract your future clients. And if you, you know, if your goal is to level up your client base so that you can deliver more value and charge more for that value, um, then you, you have to price and deliver that value accordingly. So, you know, if take the hole in my ceiling, for example, if I called up somebody and I asked them what it would cost to fix it and they said 20 bucks, I am hanging up the phone because I don't trust them. Like their, their pricing validates their professionalism to me in that scenario. Just like, you know, and, or if I call someone else and they'd be like, eh, it's going to be like six or 800 bucks. I know now like that's a reasonable price to get that you know fixed immediately. Um, and so I'm going to trust their skill level, their professionalism, their expertise, purely based on the price that they told me. And so if someone's coming to you and you are you or, or you know, a digital marketer, whatever your uh, category is, if you're pricing, if, if you are pricing in a race to the bottom, you're going to automatically alienate higher paying clients because they're going to see you as a happy meal and not as a, you know, five-star dinner. Yeah, no, that's a good, I, that's a really good point. And actually it reminds me of a story, uh, of when I, when I first started, this was very early on doing freelancing. Um, I started doing freelancing, primarily doing book jacket design, because as I've touched on in the past, I used to do, I used to work in the book publishing industry and book jacket design was a big part of what I did. And so I was starting to, I was targeting people who a lot of independent writers, authors, uh, started slowly to work with some publishing houses. And I found this one particular author who was wanting to, uh, who was wanting to publish a couple of different books. And so at that time I had my pricing broken down into packages and, you know, different packages that you could just like sign up for and purchase. And so I was, I was emailing back and forth with this potential client and he really liked my work. Uh, he liked my portfolio and he liked the different uh, publishers I had worked with. And then he, I think at one point, just before he started the project, he had a phone meeting with me. So we're chatting through some of the different concepts and ideas and my process and all that. And so he said, I just got to let you know, I'm happy to get started with this project, really excited. But he's like, just so you know, I was an inch away from going to another book book jacket designer. And the reason is because your pricing is too low. He said, you don't charge enough. And I said, the first thing that that showed, he said, I, I want top quality work. I want to invest in this book jacket. So everything about the work that you do, the process, the different comps, the experience, the typography, the style, the marketing research that goes into this. He's like, all of it's there. The only thing that I was hung up on was your pricing. It's like, because I just, again, as a consumer, uh, that just doesn't infer the, in, you know, it doesn't actually, you know, encourage the confidence that that consumer needs to know what you're creating is up to a level that they require. So that was a huge lesson for me. And that was actually one of the things that kind of sp was a springboard for me in terms of equating the type of work that I do with the value that is associated with it while at the same time, the type of clients who are going to want that type of work. 
I think that's a great point, and that's a great example. Uh, one of my clients that I've started working with in the last year, as I've made the transition to transition to being not just a remote worker for a team, but like a full-time freelancer with multiple clients, he asked me for a proposal, and I sent him. And I had taken my pricing and kind of done the traditional, like, okay, what I want to make for the year. This equates to that much per hour. So I had quoted him like an hourly rate, a monthly retainer, and like a project rate. And he was like, he, <laughs> instead of re like responding in an email and like forming or whatever, he hit me up in Slack, and he was he just like wiped it all aside. He's like, <laughs> he's a very candid person. He's like, none of this crap. Like, this is what this work is worth to me. Here's like the bulleted scope of it. How does that work? And I was like, sweet, perfect. Um, and I have tried to then like take that. He basically gave me a pricing model um, by giving me that very like direct feedback. Um, and I have used that to work with other clients to position that. And there's there's a tendency for people depending on the type of work you do and the clients that you work with for them to kind of press like an hourly, an hourly fee or an hourly rate, because that's just the normal, um, like approach or construct for having an employee or for having a contract. It's like, Oh, I'm going to pay this much an hour. I want this much of their time, whatever. And a, like a lot of, a lot of salaries, a lot of, um, compensation is, sent like the mindset is centered around that hourly rate and not necessarily the value that they're delivering as an employer you want to make sure your team is delivering more than the value of what it costs to employ them because the like the lar statistically the largest liability on any business's you know profit and loss statement on their balance sheet is the cost of labor the cost of employing like paying people salaries is usually the largest percentage um on its own and so like managing and focusing on that is often um a big a big concern thomas when you are working with a client and you know there you have you've gotten past that point of you know they're, they're not necessarily price sensitive but they've like they've accepted you know, um, or, uh, you know, approved your, your rate for the project. So when you charge what you're worth and what your work is worth, how do you ensure that the client feels good about paying you and that they're getting the value, uh, when the project is complete? Yeah. So there's some really important things to do as you're taking on the project itself. So I know it's a cliche and everybody says it, but, you know, under promise and over deliver is kind of the, the, the thing that you want to do. And then finding little ways to go beyond what people expect. So here's something that I typically do that has become extremely helpful. So what I like to do throughout the, the process of a project is a lot of times what people want is they just want communication and they just want to know what's going on. And so one of the things that I typically do is I actually record little video tutorials where I actually show the specific pieces of the site that's been built, how they work, uh, how they're going to be useful moving forward, how to use them, how they operate. And I do these pretty regularly to make sure that not only the person knows what's going on, but it, there's kind of two, two reasons I do this. A, to show them what's going on, the, the, 
the, the progress on the site that's been made. But also I do this because I want them, uh, I'm training them at the same time. Because let's say they're not too familiar with WordPress uh, or something like that. I'm kind of explaining where things are, how you're going to manage posts here and that sort of thing. Uh, so more recently, I took on a brand identity project, which would include uh, the logo as well as elements that go along with that. So with the preliminary stages of my logo design process, and again, none of this is outlined in the proposal. Most of the time, it's the deliverables and the basics of the process itself are outlined in my proposal. But what I do like for the brand identity design is I go through and I actually record a video similarly, and I explain in detail the rationale behind each design and the process I took to achieve that particular design. Again, if you go to a logo design contest, what they're going to do is they're going to show you from 50 different candidates, uh, probably almost 100 designs. And you're just kind of on your own. Oh, that one looks pretty. I like those colors. That font's cool. Uh, and you're going to pick that one. Whereas my process, I go through and I actually explain in detail what each logo comp means, why it's strong, why this one would work in this situation, why this one would work better in that situation. This one works better for web. This one works better for print. You can use this element here. This element will work good for a sidebar of a website. Very particular targeted information that you're giving to that person that is way more valuable than somebody who just knows how to use Illustrator or Photoshop. So that would be one specific example of how uh, you're going outside of what is a line item on the invoice uh, and at the same time making it worth and worth more than was actually charged for the project. I think that's a great method of managing high maintenance clients and, or actually like treating all your clients as if they are high maintenance to avoid any of that drama. Like you're able to avoid drama with a client by keeping them consistently in the loop and delivering those like milestones and like value points of like, Hey, here's, you know, a status, like a weekly status update or, you know, doing the little videos and stuff. And there are, there are easy tools for that. Uh, loom.com L O O M.com is a great screen capture tool that I use on a like a daily basis to record like how to's like solving customer issues or communicating to clients. Like, Hey, here's, you know, what's this thing. Um, and it's, like really helpful to have that ongoing communication. It reminds me of being in high school and my youth pastor asked us all, I was like, would you like to have more freedom? Like, would you like for your parents to give you more freedom? And like every single hand goes up, you know, cause we're all teenagers and we think we know everything and we just want to rule the world. And he told us all, he's like, over communicate. When you ask to go out with your friends, tell them where you're going, what times, who's going to be there, who's driving, whose parents are home, and he said, after a while, they're just going to say, okay, fine, go, because you've established trust and you've established a consistency of behavior. And so with clients, um, especially ones that might be um, very emotionally invested in a project um, or, or just, you know, heavily monetarily invested in a project, because if you're, you know, you're charging a premium price, they want to get premium value out of that. And by having that consistent communication, you are for, you know, beyond the point of, you know, quoting your price and sticking to that and having that confidence and integrity at that point, you are reaffirming and revalidating that 
throughout the process of the project to where they feel very secure, they feel very confident, you know, likely they won't be questioning you. And it might reach a point of like, you're good. You don't need to send me this stuff until you're all done. Um, you know, they may say that they may not. Um, but it just, it further leverages and strengthens that trust and empathy with the client. And then they're more likely to like refer you to other people. Um, Thomas, when it comes, so in thinking about our audience and, you know, when it comes to all the different aspects of like pricing and getting paid and all of that, is there ever a situation where it, it is appropriate to offer a discount? Yeah, I think there are. And it's one of those situations where I, I actually want to dedicate an entire episode to discounts because there's so much nuance to the subject. Uh, I would say rule of thumb, no, but there are exceptions to the rule. All right, and that'll uh, be I our teaser. Don't go into it. Nope, that'll yeah, be it. That'll be, the, that'll be the teaser. So no exceptions to the rule do exist. All right. Um, and so another like particular of, of, of pricing is like, how do you actually get paid? And this might be like a little bit, um, you know, bit of minutia, but as you know, we, this is how we make a living and this is how we pay our bills. So understanding and having a process or, you know, a consistent method of how I'm paid is important to me because I have kids to feed and a mortgage to pay. So, um, how do you go about deciding, your like pricing model in terms of like, is it all up front? Is there a deposit? Do you pay it all at the end? Stuff like that. Yeah, no, this is a, this is a great question. I think there's finding a middle ground between what you need as a business and what's going to be, uh, what works well for your customer. So what I found early on is that not many people like to pay hourly, um, mainly because, uh, the particular clients I work with, it just, it just creates too much stress throughout the process uh, in that if I charge hourly, people are constantly worrying about like how long are you spending on this? How long are you spending on that? And it just weighs on the actual process itself. And it beca- it just adds more stress. And at the end of the day, just a less quality product. Because again, very early on when I did this, most people were like, well, okay, well, let's not do that because it's going to take that long. Or let's not do that because that's going to take that long. So I decided pretty early on, to shift my pricing over to a project, uh, a solid project pricing. Uh, and it's uh, at the end of the day, it ends up actually being higher than an hourly rate because uh, it's it's all inclusive and it, it enables for us to go in different directions in terms of, you know, if this piece is going to take longer, maybe that one's going to be shorter. But again, it gets all the expectations out on the table up front so that there's no question mark about how much it's going to cost. And a lot, a big point that comes up with a lot of particularly designers and developers is the question of project scope. And so that's why it's good to be very clear and upfront with people with what the project includes, which is generally pretty easy to do. You just outline it in a pretty bulleted list. You talk it through with the client. You make sure that everybody's on the same page. It's very rare that I have a project that goes outside the scope, but when I do, I communicate it before ever undertaking that work. Um, I've actually had a a person I was working with at one point, um, particularly to help with some work, some development work, who who was nice enough to tell me after the fact 
that they were doing some work that was outside the scope that wasn't clearly outside the scope. So as uh, a person at that, at that point, I got to be on the other end of the fence. I got to see what it was like from a customer perspective. And that's why it is important as a freelancer, as a person who makes things, um, is just be clear. You touched on it earlier, Casey, which is the importance of being, uh, you know, over communicating. And that's where a scope is going to be really important. But again, in my experience, that that comes up pretty rarely. In terms of your pricing model, uh, what I would recommend is um, I would always charge something upfront to get started. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, there is very few exceptions there to the rule where I'll, I'll accept payment after the project is done. But one of the most notorious, you will find an endless supply of people on the web who are freelancers whose biggest complaint is they won't pay the invoice. You've done the work for two months out, three months out, and they still haven't paid the invoice. And so what I would recommend, and this is kind of my rule of thumb, I do break it from time to time for, for particular clients, but what I like to do is tether the payment of the invoice to the delivery of some element of the work that is vital. So this website doesn't go live until, you know, invoice B is paid. Uh, this part, we don't start on the project until the 50%, you know, deposit has been made on the project. So what you want to do is very nicely, it's just human nature. It's just one of those things where, especially if you're working with a bigger company or an accounting department or something, sometimes it's just not important as vital to them that the invoice gets paid. So, um, especially if you're paying, if you're working with a bigger uh, client or customer who's got an accounting department, again, they might have a specific order in which they're working. But if you're working with a person as a part of that particular company, say, hey, I can't get started. It's just I can't get started on the project till you know, invoice A gets paid. That's going to cause them to go bug the accounting department to get the thing paid because they want the project started. So it's very nicely just tethering the work that you're doing to the payment of the invoice, being nice and courteous about it. Um, and just being smart in terms of how you position those things and just balancing that with what's going to be convenient and practical to the people you're working with. I think much like a uh, marriage relationship, having consistent communication, consistent open communication and talking about expectations up front and having those check-ins throughout are super important to managing uh, that relationship. Thomas, as we wrap up, what are some resources out there, books, blogs, courses, or podcasts where people could learn more about pricing? Yeah, I don't have too many on pricing itself. There's not too many books I've gone through, but one of the things I would recommend uh, particularly in starting to change your mindset uh, in terms of working with clients and building this into an overarching brand. So that's what I kind of want to bring this all back around to your pricing, the type of work that you do, positioning yourself. All that we've been talking about in this episode can be described in one word, and that's brand. Uh, all the best brands uh, in the world charge more for their products because of brand, because of the way that they're perceived, because of what people expect from them. So I think the more that you start to actually take on a brand as business principle, uh, the better you're better off you're going to be. Um, and so the book that I would recommend, a resource I would recommend, I recommended it in the past, um, but I recommend it here, particularly if you're wondering about pricing or kind of how you're going to position your company or your business or your work, is what great brands do. So I think I've mentioned it in the past. Again, I can leave uh, a link to it in today's show notes. 
uh, which you can find over at rightly.show slash 78. Uh, but again, what that's going to do is it's going to underscore for you the importance of the, and I love this concept that they outlined in the book. It's called the brand uh, business or brand as business principle, which is having an underarching uh, overarching philosophy to the way that you approach your work, to the way that you charge, to the type of clients you take. And that's going to make all the difference when it comes to picking your pricing and your approach to pretty much every aspect of your business. So again, I'd like to thank Casey so much for taking the time to be on the program today. Again, you can check out Casey over at CaseyProctor.com. And we'd love to hear from you as well. We'd like to know the type of clients that you've worked with. If you've got your own story you'd like to tell, feel free to head on over to rightly.show slash question. We've got a spot where you can record a question or you can just leave us a comment or something you would like to uh, to share with us for a future episode. And as always, if you find the Rightly Show useful, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. We always do appreciate it. And until next time, go out there and create a brand that is truly rightly designed. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the program. If you found it useful, please take a quick moment to leave us a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or the medium of your choosing. 